0: Today on Yellowstone Teton's Traveled Podcast.
1: That's where the castle where Queen Mary was like held prisoner. It's this famous castle. It's on an island in the middle of Loch Leven, And I looked over at it. I'm like, can we go there? And he's like, yeah. Wrote over to it, you know, and I was like, oh my God, this is in the, you know, the history books. So, you know, that's one of the cool things about Europe is you look around and there's all this crazy stuff.
0: A great story from Pete Erickson and a little history of Western Europe. We are traveling to one of the great Western Trout Rivers in the United States by way of Italy and a gold medal. Welcome to Traveled where it's all about the journey we are on in fly fishing and in life. This is our chance to take a deep dive into a specific area around the country so you have a better feel for the people, the resources and the community that make this part of the country so unique. Before we jump into it today, I wanted to share a big special travel giveaway we have going on right now that's just kicked off. Uh, you can win a trip to the Euro Nymphing School with Pete Erickson and Brett Bishop and some other amazing anglers. So you can up your Euro game this year. Um, we're also giving away a Echo Shadow X Rod, a huge prize pack. This is going to be a big event. It's going on right now. You can head over to wetflyswing.com slash giveaway and you can enter this right now. And there's a link in the show notes to check that out. Uh, I'll also be heading there this year on this trip so if you want to check out and actually purchase a slot for this you can go to dave at wetflyswing.com right now and uh, we're going to have 10 slots available this year so if you want to get one of these uh, you can enter the giveaway but if you want to purchase that connect with me as soon as you can and we'll save you a spot for the euro nymphing school I hope to see you in eastern Idaho this year for a chance to fish one of the great trout rivers in the country learn from some of the best we have in this country, and to uh, hang out uh, with yours truly on the river. Okay, before we jump into it with our guest and dig in with Pete here, I want to share the love with our traveled sponsor. This podcast is sponsored by Swing Outdoors and the Wet Fly Swing Podcast. If you're traveling to this neck of the woods and you get a chance to visit a hotel, lodge, or any other business connected in eastern Idaho or in that region, Go ahead and let them know you heard about uh, them through this podcast. And if you get a chance, you can also head over to wetflyswing.com slash Teton and see that full list, that full list over there, at Teton. All right, this week, Pete Erickson is here to break down the Euro Nymphing School with a focus on the South Fork of the Snake, the Henry's Fork, and some of the other great rivers in this part of the area. Pete gives us his update since uh, episode 118, 118, it's been a while and uh, we find out what Team USA has been up to, how that gold medal came to be, and uh, we, we hear about that story and then, then we find out how we're going to be learning some of these tips, tips and tricks from the gold medal winner uh, on our upcoming trip. We also dig into a little of the history on, uh, on Euronymphing and, and find out how you can up your game with this big trip and prize pack we got going right now. So uh, before we get into it, just want to give you a heads up, wetflyswing.com slash giveaway. There's a link in the show notes for your chance to win a slot to this trip. We're giving away one chance to win and then you're also going to win a big prize pack. So let's check it out. Let's jump into this right now. Time to experience the road less traveled, Euro style. Here we go. Pete Erickson. How's it going,
1: Pete? Good. Dave, thanks for having
0: me. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for uh, putting this together. We've been talking behind the scenes a little bit, putting together the Euro uh, Nymphing School, this cool program we have going, and we've got a good cast of people on board and, you know, experts, and we'll, we'll talk about that. We're going to dig into that today, and, and we're going to help people get educated on Euro Nymphing a little more today. But take us back real quick. We're going to go back because it was 118, episode 118 we had you on back in January of 2020, just before COVID started. And so what have you been doing since then? Take us back. So over the last few years.
1: Yeah. I'm English teacher, ninth grade English teacher in Boise. So that that takes up a lot of my time. Um, I've also been lucky enough to travel, you know, doing a lot of fishing stuff, host guiding. And, and uh, the Team USA thing has been pretty fun. Been to, uh, let's see, since 2020, because we got shut down on a couple of tournaments. Um, Yeah. We went to Czech Republic. That was awesome. And then Italy. Oh, Yeah. Italy was just this last summer and we were able to win the world championship as a team.
0: Oh wow that's right
1: yeah and Brett Bishop won the individual world championship it was amazing. Um, where else have I been? I've been to Argentina twice you know Patagonia and just lucky to travel a little bit and everything's kind of opening up and yeah fishing's kind of getting back in the swing.
0: That's cool. How have you always done that you know because you have the teaching how has that been as far as balancing you're traveling all these places plus you got. You know, it seems like a lot going on. How have you been able to do that? What's the secret? It's been precarious, actually. <laughs> There's no secret. Um, begging
1: my principal to, you know, let me get a sub and use sick days and trying to time these things around vacation, spring break, Christmas break, and then summers. I mean, summers do open it up a little bit. So if a world championships are during the summer, it really helps. So it's pretty, it's actually pretty precarious
0: operation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Nice. Well, I'll put a link out there to that last episode we did. And it was so long ago. I can't even remember what we talked about. I know we dug into Euro nipping, so we'll have a little bit of, of that today, but you mentioned Italy, which was the goal. That's where you guys won the gold.
1: Yeah. It's something that the adult teams have never been able to do. The youth team has won gold, but the adult team, it's been this, like this quest and like for the cut, you know, <laughs> like, yeah, it's like the Holy grail that we were trying to do. And, uh, You know, you got the senior team and the master's team, and we've both been uh, gunning for that thing. And um, to be honest with you, when I was planning for Italy as a captain, you know, in my mind I was kind of like, man, I hope we medal. You know, the Italians, I don't know if they've ever lost, you know, on their home turf. And our guide uh, Stefano just basically he was like, look, these guys have been coming to this water every weekend, you know, this year to prep for this and they're all such great anglers and just you know there's a bunch of past world champions on the team and everything and and uh as it was coming together we were just fishing really well and understanding everything and a lot of that is credit to our guide who's amazing and you know all of sudden, we found ourselves kind of like hey wait a minute we're in we're in second place after day one and heck after the third session third day we're in first place like what's going on here we're all fishing really well and we're all we're all working together as a team, which is the biggest part of this stuff. Um, and, you know, it just all came together. It was kind of awesome.
0: It was kind of magical. Wow. Wow. And you guys took it home. And Brett, yeah, we had Brett on a while back. He talked about winning that. So I'll put a link out to that episode as well. Oh, good. And so, yeah. So you guys have the first ever gold for the adults. So I guess it's the guys down below. So what is the team? So you guys are the, is it the masters?
1: Masters, yeah. And Brett's the captain of the, uh, of the senior team. And all, you know, all of us have been on that team too for many, many years. So, yeah, but it was really cool because, uh, each country you go to the Euro style nymphing, I would say is it's different. You have to
0: completely recalibrate, you know, and figure out it's always about the, the river and the fish. Does it look like, you know, you go to the European countries and you find that the places where it's harder to catch fish, those are the better teams typically over in Europe, like Italy, the further, is that kind of how it works?
1: 100 percent. it's exactly like skiing the iciest hardest like places is where the best like skiers come from best racers right and it's just like because they're trained you know it's so fun to to see those people from italy especially the competitors but just your average you know european angler too if you see them over in idaho or something and i have i've accidentally bumped into the French team before on the Henry's fork.
0: Oh, wow. The whole team? Like, I'm like,
1: oh my God, I know you guys. <laughs> and it's just, they can't believe how awesome the fishing is. It's like Shangri-La for
0: them. <laughs> oh, wow. So they come over here and they're just just going crazy.
1: Yeah. And, you know, the same thing, other parts of the world too are awesome fishing too. But Europe can be just so challenging. You know, those fish are pressured and, you know, believe it or not, it's, there's a lot of wild trout and wild grayling and we had marble trout in this one too. So that was something that I've never really focused on marble trout and it was, they were different, you know, it was like, okay, these things are different to catch than I know Brown's and grayling really well, but wow. Okay. What are the marble trout? What do they look like? Were they connected to? They're just kind of, they're big and they're beautifully colored. They kind of look like a tiger trout. Okay. If you know what that looks like. Um, and yeah, they're just, um, they're aggressive and, they hang in certain types of water and it's just, they're different. You know, like the funny part is, is when you're prepping for your, your section, usually uh, it's all sealed envelopes, So you don't know what section you're going at. but you prep for every section that you might possibly get. And so, you know, like, oh, I got beat number six. There's a bunch of marble trout on there. And so, you know, like, you kind of know what you have to do. You're like, okay, I have to fish differently than if this were a, a heavy wild brown trout section. Gotcha. That's part of the fun of what we get to do, you know, because you're in all these different places. You're not just going to the same rivers that you go to all the time. Like I do in Idaho, I go to the same
0: rivers, you know? Right, right. Yeah. These are totally different than these rivers. Did you guys fish them a little bit before you actually started the competition? Oh yeah. Yeah. We have
1: sometimes a couple of weeks of practice and the guide's like teaching us and we're trying to dial it in ourselves and find our confidence and and then there's, you know, as a captain, I do like a whole year's worth of research on all the, the entomology and the creole census and all, like everything, you know, try to figure everything out and, and what's going to happen. And if it's high water, if it's low water, if it's raining, if it's sunny, all those different deals, it makes
0: it really challenging and really fun. That's it. So what do you think was the secret to you guys when the goal was it mostly, uh mostly nymphing?
1: It was a combination because, you know, some rivers were dry dropper, some rivers were... Um, dry fly and there was a lot of nymphing we kind of had that glacial flower you know rivers like on the sarka and stuff like that so you know you probably fished in the northwest for steel and you know what glacial
0: flower no what is the glacier you mean just like a tint till so glacial flower is like
1: the um it's that lime green that comes from the glaciers you know like it's coming out of the mountains you know and so so you're like i can't see very far into this Which was really cool right because you walk up and i'm like oh my gosh look at the color of this river it's lime green yeah you know it's because you're it's the dolomites right you're coming off of its runoff and it just makes things completely different you know as far as uh, how you prep for colors of the flies um basically everything you know and you can't really see when you're waiting on like that was the sarka river that i was referring to right there but it's yeah you just like all these different aspects um come into play
0: Right. So the stuff you guys did over in Italy, let's take it back over here because we're going to be hitting probably like the Henry's Fork or the South Fork Snake. Some of those rivers. Is there? Right. Are there any similarities between the two Italy versus this stuff over here? We're going to be hitting.
1: Yeah, tons. You know, and that's that's one of the reasons that we're um, able to prep and practice in the Rocky Mountains because there's so many similarities between these types of rivers. You know, Europe is distinctly unique in, in a lot of its river systems, but um let's say for example the south fork it kind of has everything it's like one of those places that has you know has the thin shelves it has the has the freestone side channels it has like there's all these different things that you can do it's so diverse and that's why um i've spent a lot of time on the south Fork of the boise south Fork of the snake you know it's easy to find the style of practice if you know what the river is in europe and that's why it's just so fun to Euronymph the south fork of the Snake. It's just huge, and it's there's so much to do. Right. And in October, um, the wading is going to be very accessible. Oh Roy. Oh yeah, you can wander all around. What is going on during October?
0: Oh, the water levels are just down. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and the fish are concentrated in holes, which makes you know
0: Euro nymphing awesome. Oh Roy, okay. And you can, can you fish year around on, I mean, the South Fork, like Euro nymph you can kind of do that year round.
1: Yep, absolutely. And there's the, there's whitefish that you can target and practice on. You know, sometimes we would practice on whitefish, um, because they had, uh, similar mouths and stuff to grayling. So, and when people are learning how to Euro nymph, sometimes they're like, okay, there's a, here's a hole right here and, and there's whitefish in it.
0: Which are great. Mountain whitefish.
1: Yeah. It's like, we am going to practice this deal. You know, you know, as guides, sometimes we poop with the white fish, but, um, if you're practicing your own infing, sometimes you get your set, right? You get your cider, you get lined up, you get figured out and you know, white fish might be a little dumber than trout, but, um, they still play the game and you know, when you're learning, it's kind of nice
0: because you're fighting fish, you're setting fish. Yeah. Just hooking, fighting a fish. Yeah. You're hooking stuff. Yeah. Okay. So that's the game. So the South fork, if we're looking at that, Maybe we could talk about, you know, how you, because you have this master's in education, you're a teacher, you've got those skills. Take us to your program. Like if you're, you know, we're going to be doing this, this is part of like, you know, teaching Somebody's going to be listening, probably they might be new to Euronymphing. Maybe they haven't done it at all. What does your program look like? How do you start people out, you know, from square one in this stuff?
1: Yeah, you, you know, you kind of do uh, presentations uh, either in the morning or night. It could be PowerPoint. um, It could be showing videos. It could be a kind of group discussion. And that's always the the educational part of it to get everyone kind of like the big picture of everything. Um, The other thing too that people find really engaging is uh, you'll have like sessions where like, Hey, let's, let's all build ourselves leaders, you know? And of course like Brett and I might guide that process and kind of maybe show a few slides on the materials and just the different like leader theories and, and things like that. You know, what's most, uh, you know, the most modern techniques that are happening, most contemporary. And then, uh, you know, that's kind of cool to have, you know, you're doing it yourself, you're building your own leader and you're kind of armed and ready to go out there. So there's that, you can kind of go over the fly boxes. And then obviously there's, you know, time on the river. Yeah. That part is, you know, it's key. And so you kind of mix those together and you get, you get a nice little clinic. And then I'm a big uh, teacher that believes in guided discovery. So, you know, like I like to let people kind of figure, you know, not do it on their own, but like kind of pay attention to them and see them kind of break through different plateaus and stuff. I'm there. I'm just kind of like, what are you thinking? You know, uh, it's really uh, seems to work pretty well in a lot of these clinics to let people kind of explore and and, uh, guide them, let them explore, figure it out and have some fun, really. I mean, one thing that people... Seem to uh, like they kind of discount fishing when it comes to your own nymphing. It's almost like this like system of almost like gill netting fish or something. You know, like it, oh right, like it's too easy. It's so not like that. There's there's so many elements of being a fly fisherman. You know, like an angler. Like once you figure out kind of your basics and everything, you move into fishing mode. You start looking for water and you start figuring out things and you start figuring out your presentations and adjusting 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 and seriously it's just as much fly fishing as far as all your adjustments and everything as you know dry dropper fishing or any other style streamer fishing
0: yeah i love it i love that it's called you know essentially I mean, there's different names for a dynamic nymphing you know mono <laughs> whatever but i love that it's mostly called Euro nymphing because it's almost like the uh, right we're in the u.s here but we have people that list around the world but it's it's perfect because, I mean, that's how it started, right? I mean, the European nymphing.
1: Well, I think you and I talked about that in our last episode. But I can't really remember. But, I mean, it's kind of a, a dubious thing that we, you know, I think I told you the story where.
0: We dubbed it. Yeah. Did you? Yeah. Where
1: we were talking like Jack Dennis had 10 different countries listed on his presentation. And we were like, Jack, just shorten it to don't call it Polish, Czech, French and Spanish nymphing you know on the title slide of your presentation that's too much just call it european
0: yeah so you and who was there when they came up with the european
1: oh courier and i think we were in laramie another guy named sam i think i can't remember who was all there but it was some team usa guys and we were kind of we were like part of jack's presentation and it wasn't long after that that jack and myself and vladi put out the first european nymphing video like the cabela's one it was like it was the very first one and it was like
0: Oh really? The Cabela's one? Yeah, it's
1: like super old, uh, but it was it was perfect because Jack's like, yeah, I'm gonna call this thing the European nymphing.
0: You know, there you go. So Jack Dennis, I mean, he was there, right? Because he was the captain, or he was the captain.
1: He was. Yeah, he was a big driver and all this stuff, and organized everything, and and uh, you know, just a lot of vision on all that stuff. And I remember the first few times that that. Like Vladi was kind of wondering, like, why isn't this called Polish nymphing? You know, like this this yeah. this DVD that we're making, and no matter where you went, in Europe, they're like, wait, this is called Czech nymphing. You know, and it was like very, you know, they're very very proprietary, and it's just like Americans to throw a big general name on something, right? Yeah,
0: exactly. But
1: that's the first time I've ever heard the term when we kind of shortened it down, and uh, I always tell people, that somebody co currently could have you know, all that too. Who knows?
0: Yeah. Yeah. But no, but you guys were there, but the bottom line, you were there, Dennis. I mean, Jack Dennis was the man. He got this going at the start. And so you guys were there at the beginning with, with Jack.
1: Yeah. It was pretty early on in the whole process. So who knows?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: That's good. Yeah. But your nymphing is kind of stuck and it does kind of make sense. It's it, I think it's important to kind of clarify that all these techniques individually Parts of them and stuff have existed forever, for decades. And there, you know, people will say, my great granddad was high sticking in Colorado in the 1700s, you know, or when, you know, you just hear stuff that's like, well, of course, everyone's been doing everything. It's just like flies, you know, if someone comes up with a fly. It's like, you know, all those elements have been around for decades. And so it, I think, Euronymphing is, it was all those things coming together for those people during those competitions in the 80s. And it kind of clicked as a thing, you know, with the flies, with the, the long light rods, with all that stuff. It kind of clicked as a technique and a thing and a whole something that was identifiable. So that's why I think it's okay to, to call it something.
0: Yeah. No, I think it's perfect. It actually is good. Well, I, I want to dig into a little bit on the gear because we've got a cool, the cool thing we're doing here is that we're doing this school, but we're giving away a trip. Which is pretty amazing. So we're gonna give away somebody's gonna win this trip. But not only are they gonna win a trip, we got a bunch of gear, including a Echo Shadow X rod, and a bunch of other like over ten other companies giving away products. So I'll give a shout out to that at webflyswing.com/giveaway, where we're gonna be uh, have one lucky winner. But let's talk about the gear. Let's go into that real quick. So I know last time we talked about Echo. Oh, yeah. uh, bring us back. So what is the, you know, has anything changed since then? Talk about your gear. Like if you're going out there, just focusing on your own nipping, what are you bringing out there?
1: Well, like, you know, early on too, we were using whatever rods we could find because there were no specific long light rods. You know, there were no 10 foot three weights or anything like that way back when. So you can do your own nipping with a nine foot five weight. It's just such an obvious difference if you use a 10 and a half foot three weight. It's just amazing you know reach and and your ability to to lead your flies or you know whatever it is like setting fighting fish there's so many different things that that these rods can do the micro leaders which are really long leaders that are very thin the jig hooks the bead heads you know all these things kind of come together in that fashion yeah and i remember we talked about of course the echo shadow x is my favorite rod
0: right (laughs) right (laughs) that's right but there's a bunch right there's a bunch of good rods out there probably
1: oh they're all there's so many really good rods out there because obviously i um as a rod designer i'm trying rods all the time and i'm incredibly impressed with a lot of the rods on in the industry right now
0: gotcha so 10 and a half foot three weight is the rod that you use
1: that's the one i prefer that's the one you know we all used and maybe 10 foot three too but when we were in czech republic you know with heavy cover and smaller fish, we use 10 foot two weights. And, um, sometimes you, you go down to a nine and a half foot rod, but yeah, just the combination of long and light is a big part of it. And the biggest test you can give anybody is you run them through these clinics, you let them use the the long light rods and they start getting used to it. And you say, okay, here, here's your eight and a half foot five weight.
0: Right. <laughs> here's your old heavy rod. And they
1: just, you know, they just feel like a eunuch.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's hard to go back. That's right. What about the lines? Have the lines changed over the last few years with the Euro nipping lines? Do you even need a line, Roy, because you're not really using a line, right?
1: Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the rules for FIPSMUSH have encouraged um, that you're using line outside of the rod, you know, pushing it a little more towards traditional fly fishing. So the leaders can no longer be, they can only be twice the rod length now. And so that's all the mono you get. And so you will, if you're reaching across a river, or trying to find a spot, you're, you're fishing with fly line. And it depends on the angler, but some of us will hybridize our situation and we'll cast a, a Euro nymph line with a dry dropper in a pinch. So yeah, we actually kind of use the lines a little bit more than people think.
0: Yeah, and what are the lines? Does everybody have a Euro nipping line out there now?
1: Yep, they'll have a, you know, and they're very thin, very light and there are certain diameter they have to be for the rules and one of the reasons they're so so light and thin is uh they're not heavy so they don't cause line sag and what line sag is is just like if you're reaching out and you've got a drift going if your line's heavy the line will start to fall in between the guides and it'll pull your nymphs towards you oh wow so that's that's one of the reasons that all these
0: lines are so thin and you'll notice it when you get one you'll be like whoa this looks like like running line. Told, that's what I was going to say. Running line. Exactly. Yeah. Or even backing. It's covered in a, you know, it, it's traditional fly line covering, but. Yeah. Gotcha. Do you have like a brand that you use typically? I've actually used uh, Airflow and
1: Rio. The lines can be kind of similar. There's, you can go down deep rabbit holes with, with these lines on, on their cores and all that stuff, but, um, durability, uh, but they, they are kind of similar the way they're constructed. A lot of them. And they're just like, let's say that you're starting this clinic, you're going to look at it and go, wow, that doesn't look normal. This is very thin. You know, it's, it's not built like a traditional trout taper, you know, trout line, which, you know, that would be one of the goals of, of our clinic is to let people know, like, here's why this line looks like this. And here's the benefits of it. You know, here's
0: why you need one. (laughs) Yeah. And that's what we'll dig into too, right? The school is like, how do you cast this thing and what does that look like?
1: Yeah, all the casting is very kind of unique with a lot of the Euro Euro nymphing techniques. You know, there's lobs, and then there's um, you just have to figure out how to work the rod. All these are techniques that have, you know, they've kind of been refined. One of the really cool things about, you know, doing a Euro nymphing course is that when you do it, it's kind of a freeze frame in time. Things change so fast in this in this deal that it's it's very dynamic and you'll learn what is, well, like with Brett and I and the other guys, you'll learn what is actually, you know, kind of happening on the scene right now, but it changes. It changes fast, right? you know, which is what I love about being on the competition scene. Exactly. I think
0: that's one of the cool things about having you and Brett and the other folks we're going to have on this is that, yeah, we'll have a connection with you guys. And as things changes, we can keep up with you. Right. Well, where is team USA right now? So give us, well, let's take a break there. So is that, is that on coming up here? Where's that at?
1: Oh, like the Masters, we, we're we going to try to defend our championship up in
0: Kamloops, B.C., and that's in uh, September.
1: Oh, it's in September.
0: Oh, this might be something I might be, have to make up there.
1: Yeah, it's it's up in uh, Kamloops. Is kind of quite the drive, but not too bad, and that's where I grew up fishing.
0: Oh, it's in Kamloops, actually, in the town of Kamloops.
1: Uh, it's around
0: there. Yeah, it's different lakes, yeah,
1: and there's uh, two rivers, too, so— Camloops is known for its still water fish.
0: Yeah, big trout, big big rainbow. Are you guys going to catch some trophies? Is that the is that the thought? Guys, What's that trophies? Yeah, you, yeah, you're going to find some big fish. Oh yeah, there's huge fish up there. It's
1: awesome, and pretty sure that's where I caught my first trout when I was you know six seven years old. So I grew up in Seattle, but my dad was obsessed with that area, and we went up there like almost every other weekend growing up.
0: Wow. So can people go to this thing? Could people like actually go watch the event? Yeah, you can go. I mean, you'd be on the bank watching
1: uh, boat. It's mostly lock style fishing, but yeah, you know that's the fun part. And you can always hang out in the hotel and hang out with everybody, and you can learn a lot. Like, like I know people who are who wanted to get in the competition scene. Sometimes they'll go to a world championship or a or a national championship, and they'll just kind of soak it all in and figure out and talk to people. And everyone's you know really nice, and let you know what's going on. You can learn a lot about uh, the fishing techniques and everything. And lock style fishing is awesome.
0: Yeah, I know. I want to learn about that. We've talked a little bit about that over the years, but, I mean, that's just such a big... Uh, it sounds like, yeah, I mean, why? let's just dig in that just for a second. I mean, why is the lock style? It's basically throwing out the drogue right there, in it, and you kind of go with, let the drogue slowly pull you down. So you're not trolling, you're actually fishing.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, they have drifts. And there's, you know, within given lakes, there's drifts that are obvious, and they're kind of almost traditional, you know, because the winds blow a certain way. I remember in Scotland back in a long time ago, 2009, I guess, I saw this map in this pub outside Loch Levin, and the drifts had been named, you know, like 100 years ago. Like they had, the drifts were named on this map, and I was it was so cool.
0: And by drifts, you mean just the wind is so common, the same type of wind and area that they it's always the same?
1: Well, what you do is you would uh, – I don't know what they did way back when they probably rode, but you got, you know, you have little five or 10 horses on there, depending on the size of the boat. Lockley even had big boats. So maybe a little bit bigger motors. Um, and you go set up on the drift at the top of it. And you know, the wind's blowing a certain way and you drift the whole way all the way to the, to the shore of the other side of the lake and the, and the boats will line up. So you get in behind
0: people. And Oh, wow. So you're in a, like a, just a lineup of boats. Yeah. And the drift just, it just takes everyone through there. What happens when you catch a fish? And like, how do you follow the fish? You get out of your line or you just stay drifting?
1: Yeah, you just keep drifting and bring it in. Yeah,
0: you're not drifting.
1: It depends. I mean, if the wind's howling. Um, the boats on Loch Leven, I think, didn't have drugs because they were so like awesome, traditional heavy boats.
0: Oh, right. Didn't even need them. That they didn't get pushed hard in the wind. Yeah. And
1: and you had a ghillie in the middle that had oars and he kept the boat grabbing. They were huge
0: boats. Yeah. Like how long? Like roughly. I can't remember how long they were. Like much
1: bigger than a drift boat. Way bigger. I was pretty far away from the other angler. Like, and they were white. It's kind of fun. You can go to Lockleaven and go, you know, Google it and type in images and you'll see the boats. Like they're old. They've been there forever. And they're the best boat that I've ever like lake fished out of.
0: Wow. They were really cool. What do they call If we had to look up on Google, would there be a style of boat? What do you think they'd be called?
1: well i don't know if it's called clink style um i think these boats were almost considered like lock leave and style i don't know all the people i know in scotland are probably mad at me right now for messing yeah, yeah. like but uh it's very important like to get all this stuff right but i mean it was a long time ago for me i just remember like being in this boat it didn't crab it drifted perfectly um and it was stable and it was just like i had a lot of room in the boat and i was like wow this is this is what it's all about this boat right here so if I go out in my drift boat, sometimes it'll, it'll crab back and forth, you know, and it'll move too fast and they'll, you know, drift boats are made for rivers. And, and so, um, but these boats, I was like, wow, this is awesome. You know, you're low to the water.
0: There you go. Cool. Nice.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, some of that stuff is, is the cool things that you learn, you know, when you go over and participate and in, it's in been around forever.
0: Oh, I love that. That's got to be a big part. Of it. I mean, that right. The history is pretty cool on on this. You get that history piece. Do you enjoy digging into that here in all the history of the European stuff?
1: Oh, 100%. I remember, I mean, that's where the castle where Queen Mary was like held prisoner. Oh, wow. It's this famous castle. It's, it's on an island in the middle of Loch Leven, And I looked over at it. I'm like, can we go there? And he's like, yeah. Nice. Rode over to it, you know, and I, I was like, oh my God, this is in the, you know, the history books. So, you know, that's one of the cool things about Europe is you look
0: around and there's all this crazy stuff. Yeah, it is. That's the, yeah, the history is huge. Nice. Well, let's take it back into you. We were talking on um, a while back on just the course. Let's, let's think of, you know, we're putting this together, you know, it's day one, people are arriving, you know, and this is going to be kind of a multi-day deal here. And we could probably do the uh, the coursework the night before. Let's just take it there. What would be the first start when we're looking at just, you know, all right, somebody's we're kind of sitting down. You're going through like PowerPoint and you got maybe some videos and stuff. Where do you start with the Euro school?
1: Um, I usually start with, I kind of put the focus on the, you know, the students that are there and just say, what, you know, what are you doing right now? How do you catch fish? How do you nymph? What do you think of this? What are your perceptions of this? And we kind of go from there and figure out. You know we just kind of range find a little bit and then i usually you know pick up what i can from there and kind of uh try to meet their needs and go into uh maybe some brief history on it and and why they might want to do it and what, what are some of the big big picture advantages to it and um
0: yeah well what if they said you asked them that question they basically said well i've done it a few times out there but it's always been a struggle i don't really have my gear it's kind of like the casting, it was a little tough, you know, didn't catch that many fish or whatever, you know, if, if that's where they're coming from, what would you, where do you start? Do you start differently than if you talk to somebody who was like, oh yeah, I'm, you know, I've done this a while, you know, I'm, I've got, I've got my own gear, all that stuff.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a, a differentiation uh, mode that I would go into, because obviously, if you have enough time on a clinic like this, what you do, you can differentiate the instruction to to meet the, you know, the different levels. Um and usually what I would say is that the, even though the people are like, yeah, I've kind of done this for a while and I, I've got my own, your own nymphing rod. They're usually pretty dialed into saying, oh yeah, I do kind of want to learn about the, the history of this. And, you know, oftentimes you can kind of find some things that they're like, oh wow. You know, I, I'm self-taught and I didn't realize that. I think I'm going to go back and, and maybe, you know, change those knots on my leader or, or I never knew why that was. And so, um, you can kind of bring both sets in. You can bring a you know total beginner in with someone who's intermediate. And then eventually, obviously, even if someone came that was super advanced, we can always find um, ways to take them to the next level. It's not that hard. It's such a vast amount of information that you can easily differentiate instruction.
0: Okay, good. And that's going to be the plan because we're going to have... Yeah, we'll have it hooked up. We'll have multiple uh, guides in there taking people out, and we'll be going to different rivers and you know covering that. So, well, let's look at the river. So what do you think would be, you know, we talked about the South Fork, the Henry's Fork. When you talk about that area, that part of eastern Idaho, what are the places that are really like Euro nymphing? I mean, is it kind of like all of them you can nymph on, or is it a few select ones?
1: No, it kind of depends on, it's different sections of different rivers, really. The South Fork is pretty consistent, especially at that time of year when the water levels down. You'll be able to, you know, park the boat on an island, and you'll have side channels coming down both sides around the island. You'll have uh, holes, drops, like runs. You'll have all these things that are. It's just like a playground for European nymphing,
0: and a lot of mobility. Like it's easy waiting. And it's a boat fishing. Are you doing this from a boat, or you're floating, or are you people walking in?
1: Well, the European nymphing most of the time, what you're going to be doing European nymphing is going from spot to spot, and getting out and and doing that. And you have so much access. And that time of year, too, the river is not really that crowded. So you can go from island to island. And you just have endless amounts of of holes and runs and stuff that you can do. Um, So like the South Fork is is just amazing for European. I do a lot of it. I have, uh, you know, clients that that's all they want to do. Like they come out in the fall, and they're just like, let's just Euro nymph the whole whole way down, you know, which kind of sounds weird with, you know, like, wait, there's some they're eating some betas over there. It's like, no, I want to see some of the big fish at the bottom of this hole.
0: Yeah, that's kind of what I want to do. I want to get like, you know, I feel like just getting it dialed in. You you put in four days to something with, you know, basically some of the best in the world, right? I mean, that's the idea is that like, I, yeah, that's what I want to do. I want to be, I want to get as, I want to suck as much information out of you guys as I can, right? Sure. That's the idea that you come out of it. And then you add you know, a little bit of, you could always go back and try it with other things. So you got the South of the snake and you got, so what are the other rivers that you might, Euronymph nymph out there?
1: Oh, the Henry's fork, uh, below Ashton is like a really fun place that we might be able to do depending on water levels. And, uh, it always depends on the water level. It looks like this year is going to be, um, above the percentage of, uh, of runoff, but who knows? You never know. We're still pretty in the middle of the winter of winter. So, but yeah, those would be the two that I would prefer. You know, like I think that you don't wanna there are certain rivers that maybe are like deep, slow moving pools that just aren't as conducive to Euro nymphing. Of course you can you can nymph in any situation really, but um oftentimes there's situations that are a lot better than others. Gotcha. Okay.
0: So if we're on the snake and we, you know, we're, we're floating down, we find a spot. Let's take it to the water a little bit. So you've got your gear, you got your setup. You would mentioned the leader. Do you want to break that down really quick? Has that changed much over the years? What does your leader look like?
1: We'll probably introduce a couple of different types of leaders. Um, if you're, and this is why I said it's kind of easy to to differentiate instruction between beginners and maybe intermediate or advanced. Oftentimes, uh, like Brett and I will build kind of leaders for people who are just getting into it. It makes the casting easier, the lob casting, It makes it more accurate, less tangles. We also we can go all the way up to our competition micro leaders, which are, you know, if you if you don't know what you're doing, you can tangle them pretty easy. They're you know 22 feet long of all the way down to 7x, 8x. I mean, at Czech Republic, I fished 9x. You know, 9x. Yeah, you know, 9x. Yeah. Wow. There and it, it it mattered be from eight to nine x. You know, but people are probably laughing at that. Listening to this, it absolutely hundred percent mattered, and between seven and a half x and eight mattered, or seven x and eight x totally mattered to the fish. It was crazy, and that's what this is. What nymphs? This is not dries. So um, those leaders. I mean, I mean, what we'll be doing is nothing crazy like that. And oftentimes the fish in North America are a little bit bigger, so you know that's pretty tough to to land a big fish that way, and maybe not even that good for the fish. So you probably go with, um, you know, 5X, which is still a micro leader, you know, if you got 20 feet, 21 foot leader or 20 foot leader, let's say for this particular group of people.
0: So 20 foot leader, and then you have, take us down from say the, uh, the fly line and down, how do you just quickly, how does that, how do you build that?
1: Well, from the fly line, there's not really like these big butt sections like you would see in a traditional situation. It can taper down. But um, it'll depend on how much time we want to spend doing these things. But, you know, in competition, we usually do like needle knots and show them all that stuff. You can certainly tie off with a nail knot and it's fine. But, yeah, you just go from there and and it'll have a slight taper. And then, you know, this is for the micro leader, which is usually what most of us use in competitions these days. Um, That'll just be straight all the way down to tippet rings, right? So you have cider and you have tippet rings.
0: Yeah. So you'll have like how many feet, so you have like from your fly line down to your first tippet ring of five X, you might have like what, like 15 feet or something?
1: Uh, you might taper down from 12 to 14 feet and then have a cider of, of a, a foot. It kind of depends on which um, which leader we feel is kind of appropriate. And you know what, the leaders are a little different depending on the country and depending on the person. Uh, but in general, micro leaders kind of like that. It'll be pretty thin, you know, it can be can be four X to five X. Um, down to the cider down to the the tippet rings and then oftentimes after the cider tippet ring you'll see someone go down to five and a half x or six x or six and a half x or seven x that would be the last you know that would be where the two flies are and depend let's say that you're fishing mostly i don't know two to four feet of water you might have uh anywhere from three to five feet on that so just depending on you know it really depends on the situation. There's there's generalities that will get you started, but we'll dial it in a, a little bit closer than just saying, "Hey, you should go double the depth of the water." You know, we'll we'll kind of dial it in and say, "We'll see how fast this water's moving." So that's maybe not going to work right now. Or see the bottom. You know, there's lots of snags and stuff here. It's kind of nice having someone out there that like kind of worked in these leaders, and will get you up to speed a little bit faster than if you're out there kind of trying to you know
0: trial and error on your own. Right, right, right. So, yeah, I mean, the leaders are pretty important, right? I mean, leader or rod, I mean, which one's more important, having the right rod? John, that's a tough question.
1: Um, Leaders are very, very important. Leaders do so much for presentation, sensitivity, setting. The length of the rods really is is important. It is? um, Because of what you need to do, yeah. You know, like your reach and, and how you gather the line. I don't know. I would say leaders and then rods and then yeah. And then flies, you know, the flies, the weight of the flies is really important. We'll talk about all that, you have to constantly adjust your weights depending on the depth and.
0: Right. How do you do that? So if you got your setup, like we're talking here, you got a 20 foot leader, whatever it is, and you have this little slot, maybe it's a ledge off of a drop and a little, um, I don't know, a little riffle run or something, you know, how are you knowing you're getting down? Do you let your, fl- talk about that? How do you know you're at the right level? And when would you change the fly? you can bounce and touch the bottom
1: you know you can feel it yeah especially with the sensitivity of especially like a shadow x is a very sensitive rod Uh, in my opinion sensitivity is there's a bunch of different things like setting the fish feeling the fish take peck at it uh bouncing off the bottom figuring out all these there's so many different things that that uh you know obviously sight is the first thing that you'll see on a take but i think sight and feel kind of mixed together at, at the highest levels so, you know, you would try to figure out, like, if you're just starting, um, you're going to go a little heavier, bead heads and stuff, because and you're going to be on the bottom a little more than you want because it's um, it's a, a better way to learn. You're still going to catch fish. As you get better, you learn to go with lighter, lighter flies, you know, because if you have a big, heavy, clunky fly, it's not as attractive to the fish. It can be in certain situations, but usually the lighter the flies. And so one of the things that we'll do in this, clinic is we'll teach you how to kind of start progressing toward that if they're a beginner like i start them off with a little bit heavier flies helps their casting helps with tangles it kind of helps them feel like they'll they'll bounce the bottom a little bit here and there and they'll, they'll just get the hang of
0: it right right and how what is the tip there so casting because sometimes you cast these things and it feels kind of weird i mean are you they're very hard to control yeah but you're essentially making a normal cast right
1: no you're uh it depends like Usually what you do is you load the nymphs. I mean, this is gets kind of like technical, but traditionally when the rods were much uh, much more medium flex and they weren't as uh, powerful, the early euro nymphy rods, you'd kind of like load them and then kind of, I call them loaders, but you'd shoot the kind of heavy tapered and very stiff back butt section like Maxima. You'd shoot that leader and the leader would actually kind of act like a fly line. It would have a loop in it and you'd throw it. And it would unfurl your flies for you. Uh, now what's kind of happened is these rods are faster, you know, they have better recovery, they're they track better. You kind of load back behind you and pause, and you feel you almost feel that nymph behind you with the rod and you shoot it. You shoot it to where you want it to go. And that's kind of what's taken place in the last you know,
0: last 10 years. Gotcha. So you're loading, you're loading, you're just using the water load to shoot it. So you're not doing a bunch of false casts.
1: No, you don't want to do too much false cast, yeah, because um, it's not not a, a traditional situation. And your fly line, if you are using some fly line out of the end, which you can do depending on how far you reach, you need, it's not going to cast like a traditional situation. So you're doing a lot of what I call shooting. And most of the rods that, at least that I design, um, and a lot of the rods, it seems like the industry, they're built that way. They're built to load up a, the weight of the nymph and and uh, the beat head and shoot it. So I make a distinction between loaders and shooters. You know,
0: there you go, loaders. Well, that Shadow X rod. So that is what I mentioned that earlier. That is something we're giving away. I've already, I've already looked at it, and I don't have one of my <laughs> own. But we're going to be giving one of these away. What did you put into that rod to make that? You know, how did you design that thing?
1: Yeah, and there's you know there's all these different kind of philosophies about all these rods and stuff, and uh, you know there's all these things that help you compete and give you an edge, you know, like downlocking real seats for balance or or single footed guides. Or um I remember making a list when I first did the very first shadow a long time ago, the shadow PE. And uh yeah, I mean I just made a list of like kind of like dream elements and kind of like begged Tim Ray Jeff to like, can I do all these things? Or you know, like and of course you can't, but you know, you have to try to find an equilibrium of how much a rod costs to develop and how much it costs to produce. And but yeah, like it kind of was a progression all the way to the Shadow X now, which to me, the Shadow X is like, um, it's super light in hand. You know, it has really good tracking. Um, for me, like I said, sensitivity is actually kind of a big deal to me, even though it's a nebulous term in the industry. For me, sensitivity is actually feeling certain things at the same time of, of seeing them. Like, so obviously, uh, most of the time when a fish takes, you see. The cider move first and that's that's your go-to but there's also this whole other element of feeling the bottom feeling fish takes feeling you know feeling all these different things um and the shadow has a few design like kind of strategies that make it i think the most sensitive rod uh, out of all of them it's very light in the hand and so like it was really fun developing that because i got to i got to put it in the hand of a lot of like european competition anglers and uh you know it's brett's favorite rod and and a lot of like i think on our on our masters team that won in italy just about everybody maybe four out of the five of us were using shadows so that's like a pretty good endorsement considering that there's a lot of other really great rods out there that everybody has access to and um i even noticed a a lot of the europeans were using them too so
0: oh there you go yeah it was kind of
1: cool and they're, like I said, just very light in hand. The first stripping guide's really close. That's what makes it so fun to design.
0: What is the single foot? What is the advantage of a single foot guide versus like the double foot?
1: Uh, there's a weight issue, the way they shoot line. There's a whole bunch of advantages to it. And I remember that was one of the first uh, decisions I made with the early early Shadow was I'm gonna switch to these because all the all the whatever there weren't all that many Euro nymphing rods. I think the shadow PE was like the first 10 and a half foot production rod in North America. And so there weren't a lot of them, but what I was trying to do is I was trying to get the right feel and the right action. And Tim suggested like, Hey, we, you know, we can try different guides They're they all different weights and they affect everything. And you know, we just, I was like, Oh, let's try those. And it's funny cause it's on most of the rods now, the single foot guide. Oh, it is. There you go. Yeah. They're on most of the rods. Um, and it was just kind of like you know with tim's suggestion because he's a materials engineer and stuff and all that and he would be like here you should try that you know he would say what do you want what are you after yeah it's just things like that so and that you know if anyone's thinking about doing this clinic those are the types of fun things like all this stuff is really fun to work with it's kind of technical and kind of fun and you can go explore it online and see all the different uh philosophies certainly my philosophies on rod design or or what i think is most effective with european nipping isn't is definitely not necessarily the way to do things it's just the way that i learned with people that i was around and i observed people that i really respect and it's kind of you come to your own like conclusion on all that stuff
0: yeah how much do you think of what you've learned has come from europeans versus say americans versus you know like is it is it just a mix of everybody or is there certain people that really influence Oh, that's a really good question.
1: Oh, initially, uh, mostly Europeans.
0: It was, yeah. Yeah,
1: I would say. And then, obviously, there's there's Americans from all different, you know, regions of the country that do really cool things, you know, especially the Team USA guys, you know. Yeah, all the guys from, like, George Daniel. Yeah, you know, and George was, we were all there at the beginning. and uh, Or you come across a guy like Pat Weiss, where you watch him nymph, and you're just like, wow how did you develop that style? That's amazing. And you're kind of all together and you can kind of take little parts of each other's stuff. And, you know, that's one of the things that that if you do learn it from some people, you make it your own though. You know, like you go online, you start watching people and and there'll be a lot of uh, conflicting opinions, which I don't see as like kind of frustrating or confusing. I see it as like, cool. Like, I'm, I'm like, Oh, so this guy's saying that I should do this. And I've always done it the other way. I'm gonna go try that, like on the river tomorrow. Like I'm gonna go see if what he's saying makes sense to me. And if it does, I've got a new like arrow in my quiver. You know, it's like that's the way I see it. I don't. I love how like multifaceted all the opinions are. And
0: it's great. Yeah, I agree. What about Tim Rayjeff? Has he uh, has he ever been out there euro nipping before? Oh yeah. Oh yes. Nice. Oh totally. We
1: we did a lot of the rod design on uh, the shoots river and go to his house and with the design team and all that stuff. And, and, uh, yeah.
0: Well, give us a little breakdown on Tim. What's he like? Cause he's kind of, uh, he's been a guy I've been trying to, you know, wanting to get on the show here and he's, it seems like he's a little hard to track down. Yeah, he should.
1: Well, now he's got a little time cause you know, cause he's old echo.
0: So, Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. He's old echo. Gotcha.
1: Yeah. He and Kath are probably cruising around having fun. Tim's just like, I don't. He's extremely smart and you know, obviously world class at everything fishing, you know, especially casting. Um, but he's like, uh, he's very curious and creative, and you can tell that he likes to do stuff. And he'll, you know, especially like when he first contacted me for a lot of this stuff. We met at, uh, I think we met at Golden Gate Casting Club, like during a competition. Yeah, and it was like, he's like, I. I I'm curious about that stuff for my company, you know. And I was like, oh, I'm happy to come up to Vancouver, hang out with you, and talk about it." and And he's just open minded and curious about stuff. Like he likes to create things, and uh, that's just how his brain works. And uh, it's fun. It's fun to be around that.
0: Yeah, that's how you guys did it with the rod. You guys just kind of yeah. did. You kind of spitball like back and forth on stuff for a while. Like, how yeah. long did it take you to get the?
1: I would say that the learning curve was pretty steep on my side, where he kind of had to keep pounding a hammer on my head, trying to yeah. tell me certain things can't be done and this and that. And like he was basically teaching me <laughs> about materials and rod design and everything in the beginning. That was a long time ago. I can't even remember when the shadow PE came out, the first one. Yeah,
0: it's been a while. It
1: was a long time ago, you know. But um eventually I started kind of figuring out the process that he's known forever. And you know, he's been a rod designer forever with I think he was at Loomis with his brother and I don't know his exact history. I think he told me, but I, but you know, he, he knows everything. And, uh, that was
0: the fun part. We'll work on getting him on and then we'll have him tell his own story and we'll get it here. So, so the drift boat thing. So we're going to be, and I always love the other drift boats because I have like a huge drift boat fan or just boats in general. But so we're going to be in boats doing that floating down. So that's different than maybe some other Euro nymphing type schools or clinics. Talk about that a little bit, what that's going to look like.
1: Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, I, I call it Cadillac fishing because it's just like you're just, you're just eating up, you know, territory. Covering ground. Yeah, with our deal, it's not like we drive up to a spot and wait out to one set of islands that we're stuck there for three or four hours and we got to make it happen. if we don't, you know, if we don't like a, a gravel bar or an island or something, we're back in the drift boat. We're moving and we might even pull out our, you know, our dry dropper rigs or our betas dry only fly, you know, we might take advantage of the fact that it's a world-class fishery and fish a few seams or, or slicks or banks or whatever we want to do. And then find our next European nymphing perfect island. Like that's awesome.
0: That's what we're doing. So that's the cool thing about this is that we have the flexibility, even though, you know, we're coming here for the Euro school, you know, and learn from you guys and to get that doubt in. I mean, we are on one of the great rivers, right? I mean in the country and there's a lot of cool stuff going on there like why is that river so well known you know what i mean like the south fork of the snake what makes it so special lots of fish
1: and lots of friendly fish
0: yeah really (laughs) so lots of fish
1: yeah and the beauty too of the area is unbelievable and you know i always tell everyone cutthroats are lovable oh yeah yeah these are cutties yeah i mean there's obviously browns and rainbows in there too big big browns um and big rainbows but it's just classic you know rocky mountain fishing and it's it usually focuses on dry fly fishing and that that sometimes people are like how can you possibly you're on nymph right now when you know that there's dry fly action going on and it's like well when you hook a fish within like 10 feet of you there's this kind of bizarre electrical feeling that happens because it's so close that it's a rush in the same sense as seeing a fish kind of eat a dry fly. It's very visual. Like you see the fish right away because it's probably, you know, right to the surface and it's fighting instantly. And uh, that is a rush that until you do it, you don't really realize, you know, like it's, it's that same rush as like seeing a fish come up and taking a fly on the surface, even if that's from a, from a distance, the proximity of, you know, hooking these fish and seeing them and seeing the cider, is very visual and people don't realize that
0: until they do it yeah right it's visual god that is cool so i think that is the beauty like you said i mean the beauty is that we're going to this cool amazing river so we are going to be dialing in our euro game for sure you know that's going to be the bulk of what we do but we are going to be going to a cool place so that's what i think is what it's all that's fishing right i mean as much as we all love catching fish you know it is about just being in the cool places right yeah 100 percent and it's not like we're forcing
1: a classic river into a euro nymphing spot. This is a great euro nymphing river. <laughs> Same with the Henrys Fork too. Like you can really euro nymph well in these rivers.
0: Perfect. Well, I think what I just wanted to touch on the surface today, you know, and just give people kind of uh, you know wet their whistle for this sort of thing because I mean the giveaway right now we have going. Like I said, we've got this trip. Uh, we've got all these products. You know, other we talked about the Rob, but we got reels. We got all sorts of things we're doing. So. I'm going to give a shout out there, wetflyswing.com slash giveaway for a chance to get in on that. But for those that want to just go on this trip, that's the other opportunity. You can actually just bypass that and uh, book one of these trips with us, and we're going to have limited slots here. So, so yeah, anything else, Pete, you want to give a shout on on this? I mean, for those that haven't been to this part of the area of, you know, eastern Idaho, what else should we be thinking about before we get there if we're planning that?
1: Yeah, I mean, eastern Idaho is just really a mecca of fly fishing. and
0: it's just you know if you've never
1: been to it you really need to end your end fly fishing you've got to go once in your life you really do it's it's amazing and it's just still very rural and and uh,
0: the rivers are beautiful and wild fish and yeah it's just awesome perfect well I think that's a perfect way to to uh, kind of wrap this thing up and we're gonna circle around later in this week with some other episodes focused on this and we're probably gonna get you back on too. Um, we might even do a, a fireside chat with Dave on uh, when we do this, the trip, we might do that. Is there going to be, that's the thing. There's probably an opportunity. We're going to be working with the Worldcast guys. Well, let's give them a shout out real quick because, um, yeah, yeah we're going to be working with the world cast. Talk about that group because I've heard about them before, but I didn't know what they do. So the program, that's the group you kind of work with. Yeah. I've been,
1: uh, working with Worldcast since like the, uh, actually the early nineties, believe it or not, uh, the company it used to be breastwear outfitters, but, um, it changed into WorldCast and just unbelievably professional outfit, unbelievable guides, you know, you know, Mike, Chris, everybody who helps run it. It's just awesome. And there, it couldn't be a, a better partner than the WorldCast guys for this. I mean,
0: it's awesome. And they're right there. They have a fly shop, right? In Victor. Yeah. In Victor. So it's right
1: there. They've carried the shadows and uh, they might carry other nymphie rods too. They, you know, you can get a lot of the, the Euro-nymphing stuff in their shop. They're into it. They realize that a lot of people like this style of fishing.
0: Right, right, yeah, exactly. That's the thing. I mean, the Euro-nymphing, it occasionally gets from some people, right, whatever. There's always some of that, but I mean, it is a super popular, do you see that around that, that it just continues to grow? Oh, yeah. It seems like it's been just kind of, well, yeah.
1: Well, it's just one of those things where it's just a different style of fishing and, you, and everyone likes to do different styles of fishing, you know, so. Right.
0: And they like to catch fish. Yeah. And then, I mean, Euro-nipping
1: has, definitely has a reputation to catching a lot
0: of fish. Yep. Awesome. All right, Pete, well, I'll leave it there and we'll definitely circle back around with you for another one of these. Um, and we're going to dig more into probably some of the fishing. And I want on the next thing we do, I want to actually dig into, just go deep into like what the trip was like. Because we're going to do an after trip, right, as well. So we're going to, talk about that and and we'll kind of do a wrap-up episode so um so yeah until then we'll send everybody out i guess probably to we'll just leave the link to the giveaway uh for now and they could always connect with you through the world cast guys um yeah anything else you want to give a heads up on before we head out of here
1: no just an awesome opportunity to to get out there and and uh learn that style of fishing and be in an incredible
0: place right on all right pete well thanks for the time and we'll talk to you soon all right thanks All right, Pete Erickson on travel, part of the Wetfly Swing podcast and Swing Outdoors. Today's podcast was supported by Eastern Idaho's Yellowstone Teton Territory. You can support this podcast in Eastern Idaho by heading to wetflyswing.com slash Teton. That's T-E-T-O-N. You can get more information on all the brands and companies you can support there and find out why this part of the world is so unique and some of the amazing stuff that we have going on right now over there. Quick reminder before we get out of here, don't forget the Euronymphing trip giveaway is going on right now. This week it just launched and we've got a huge grand prize, which is a trip, all expenses paid trip to this school, to our trip to uh, fish this part of the country, South Fork of the Snake. Plus, we're giving away a Shadow X rod and a huge prize pack from all of our sponsors. This is going to be a big one, wetflyswing.com slash giveaway. You can head over there right now, sign up for your chance. We're gonna be giving this away in about a week, so um, so there's not a lot of time on this one. All right, I'm gonna roll. We got a big, we got a big, 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 very big week. So we got a lot of stuff going on here. I hope you enjoyed this episode with Pete. Stay tuned because we're gonna be doing another episode with Pete, wrapping up, talking more about uh, the Euro School. So if you get a chance and you uh, and can't make it, we are gonna be doing a little summary of it. Hopefully we'll have a little fireside chat with Dave on that episode and, uh, and we'll talk more about it and provide some more tips and tricks. If you're interested in digging in this year and really getting your nymphing game to the highest level, um, that's what we're doing here. So we're going uh, we're, we're to be keeping it rolling. So this is the Euro Nymphing Week we got going right now. Glad you had a chance to listen in and I'm excited. Uh, I'm excited to keep digging into this and I can't wait to get on the water and maybe see you on the water. Uh, that would be the best if i could connect with you on the river and we could do this thing that would be amazing but if i can't check in with me online dave at com. and i hope you are having a great morning a great afternoon or a great evening wherever you are in the world and i look forward to talking to you soon